0: I, uh, it's funny when, um, I'm looking at the clock back there, which Chris was very kind enough to remind me a couple times that it's still back there uh, as I'm preaching. And, uh, um, I kind of want to start by telling you, uh, what we're going to do today and kind of why we're going to do it. And, uh, this goes back to, starts with my first lunch. With Chris Peters, we kind of knew each other and we had really met here uh, when Bethany and I and the kids were visiting and uh, he asked me to go to lunch and, um, you know, he realized I, I was a graduate of Covenant just like he was. I'd been in ministry and, and he very, you know, politely and kindly asked, um, you know, if there's if I wanted to plug in or anything like that. And I'm like, hey, settle down, Church Planner Chris. We just got here we're, we're you know and, and I kind of told him our story and why we just kind of wanted to sit in a uh seat for a while, and then we got together for lunch again, and I said, "Hey, look, man, if you need me to help set up chairs or anything like that, I'd be glad to do that. I think within twenty four hours, I was already on a rotation and uh and then we had lunch again, and um at that point in time, I was like, okay, you know if you." You still need me? This is a few months later. If you need me for anything, you know, um, I've, I've done a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching. If you need me to teach at this point in time, I, you know, I'd be willing to do. He's like, "What do you want to preach?" I'm like, "Whoa, settle down, church planter, Chris." And um, and uh, I think within 24 hours, I was scheduled to teach about four times and some, to start a Sunday to kind of do the first three or four weeks. I think of the next Sunday school class, which started, I believe, in a couple weeks after that. So uh, Chris was very eager. And then the next time I told him, I was like, "Okay, Chris, uh, you know, I think you know, if you ever need me, you know, if you just got a space where you can't be there, or you need me to preach or anything like that, because he'd kind of been after me for this." And and then again, I mean, not less than a week later, I am on the schedule to preach Memorial Day weekend when everybody else is out of town, and um, and so I'm like, "Thanks, Chris." So, but when I told him that. I told him the reason why I was wanting to do this. I was like, "Look, I don't, you know, don't have a whole lot to offer, but you know, my experience." So we have come to really love and appreciate this church, and so one way that we want to be able to say thank you is to make me available, to make Bethany available, and um, just because y'all have been so kind and so generous, and uh, so that's kind of part of what's behind this. And then another part of what I want to do today, uh, I'm at, this is off the cuff right now. This is kind of going off script, script a little bit. I, um, uh, this morning, uh, uh, Carla asked me what I did for what I did. And I said, I, I, I work in a bank. And I just read last night, I'm reading this book, this very obscure book, about a man named Charles Gray who was a banker. And uh, it hit a little close to home last night because he was talking about the fact that here are these bankers who are always advising these very wealthy people about their funds and then they go home and they put their hands in their hair and they don't know how they're going to pay their bills. And um, and I, I know that feeling. I know what it's like to feel that way, to advise, well, you know, you've got this tens of thousands of dollars, you should put this into a money market account. And I'm like, I, if I had 10,000, I'd, I'd be doing a dance and a jig in front of all of you if I had that kind of money. But there are a lot of people that come in and um, and the ones that I can relate to are the ones who have about $13 in their account and they're not sure how they're going to pay their bills sometimes. And, and I love dealing with those people because, you know, those are, are very needy people that I can relate to. And so This morning, as I thought about the way I wanted to approach this passage, as we finish up Joshua 24, I wanted it to be a time of someone who uh, is deeply aware of his need for comfort, to comfort people. As someone who is uh, a a beggar at the door of God's mercy, as Brennan Manning says, I, I, I want to tell other beggars where to find some bread. And so as we hit... Um as we finish up Joshua 24 today, uh, I hope that is a comfort to you. And, you know, comfort is what funeral services are all about. And, uh, yes, I meant funeral service. And so if you would rise, and we're going to read from Joshua 24, verses 25 through 33. I'll give you a moment to get there if you're not there. Joshua 24. Verses 25 through 33. We'll read the passage and then I'll pray for us and then we'll jump in. Verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, behold. This stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaesh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. For in it we see your power and your goodness. We see your power to deliver people and then to place people in a place that you have promised for them. We see your power to change people, and we are thankful for that power. But Father, if you were not a good God, that would only be something to fear. And so we're thankful that you are good, you're good to your people. You've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, you've given us Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And Father, this morning we pray that because of your power and goodness, that we would glorify your name because of Jesus. We ask all this in his name. Amen. If you would please be seated. I mentioned that I wanted to comfort you because... uh, that's one of the things you do at a funeral. I've been to a couple funerals lately. Um, not long ago, my father's brother passed away. And I went to that funeral. And just like every other funeral, there was a time in which uh, he was eulogized. He was a, my uncle was a very kind and gentle and quiet man. And that came out very clearly in the things that people would say about him and in the eulogy and the whole service. It was really kind of a, 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 yes, a glorification of God and what he had done in my uncle's life, but also a praising of who he was. And then two weeks later, or a week later, we actually put my father in the hospital. And two weeks after that, we buried him. And um, did the same thing, all of us. Me, my three brothers, a pastor. my, My father was a retired pastor, and so the pastor he served with, We all eulogized him and we praised him for what he was. We praised him for the good he was to us as a father and what he was as a pastor and what he was as a friend and what he was as a husband to my mom, which was an amazing thing. And that's what we do. We praise people. And so we come to the end of Joshua, not only coming to the end of Joshua, but we're coming to the end of Joshua's life here and where he's buried here in this at the very end after 110 years of him living. And so what I want to do is I want to do kind of a a eulogy of Joshua so that we can wrap up this book. And so there are are three things that I really kind of want us to, to eulogize about Joshua. I want to eulogize, first of all, his servanthood, the fact that he was a servant of the Lord to the people. And then I want to praise him for him being obedient. Not just to serve, and not just somebody who's willing to serve, but somebody who was very obedient. And then lastly, what he did for the people of God in taking them into a place of rest. But I want to do this with a twist. I want to praise him in a way that helps us see that everything he was for the wandering Israelites, Jesus is for us. In whatever way that we are wandering. First, I want us to see that just as God gave Israel a servant in Joshua, He has given us a servant in Jesus. If you look at verse 29, you will see that Joshua is described for the first time in the whole book as a servant of the Lord. That sounds kind of like something you would do at a eulogy, right? You would praise Him in a way that you maybe had not before way that you would you look back and you look back over somebody's life and you go, this is what this person was. And that's what Joshua was, a servant of the Lord. Same title that was given to Moses, which makes sense because Moses led the people out of the difficulty, out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And then, jo- and then Joshua actually leads them into the promised land, right? So it makes sense that both of them would be described the same way. Both were the instrument through which God delivered, and then led into the promised land. Joshua was God's servant to accomplish his work, and he did this in two ways that we can see very clearly. Very simple. He served God by doing what was asked of him, and then he served God's people. And his whole life seemed to be just, you go back and you look, I was looking back over his life and reading about his life, and you go back and his whole life is described In a way in which he is caught up in the servant leadership in God's name for God's people. And we see this even in verse 25 through 28. What does he do? He says, look, he makes a covenant with them and he says... Look, we're going to set up this stone and this stone is going to be a witness against what you have said that you will do. This is not only this is, yes, a stone of God's faithfulness to us, of delivering us, placing us in the promised land, giving us a place of rest. But it is also a witness that you will be faithful. And so not only is he serving God in that moment, but he's also serving the people, helping them remember. In the same way a pastor preaches, serves God by preaching the word and saying, this is who God is. This is what God has done for you. But he also says, look, this is what is required of you. Listen and be faithful. But just as Joshua was a servant, we have a servant in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, I don't always think of Jesus in terms of him being a servant. I am more likely to think of him as being the conquering king, right? And I have a confession to make. I think I made this confession in Sunday school when I taught it after being here for about three days. Um, I I picture, and there's some history behind this from seminary, I picture, when I picture Jesus... I picture Viggo Mortensen uh, who plays Aragorn in Lord of the Rings every single time. I mean this conquering king wielding a sword, really good looking, you know, and can I say that? And and you know, he just looks like somebody who is going to take care of business. That's the picture in my head. I mean, always, always. I, I read about Jesus. I read, the, I read the New Testament. I read his stories when he's strong, when he's tender. I read Re- Revelation especially. I see that. I do not think of him as a servant because when I think of a servant, I think of Carson from Downton Abbey. Now, I really liked Downton Abbey until it started becoming, they killed people off like Lord of the Rings. And I I think of someone who is a servant who is always doing something for people who you know are not... Wanting to do it themselves or can't do it themselves. But that's exactly what Jesus is for us. Just as the people of God in the Old Testament needed a Joshua to do this for them. We need Jesus to do, to be a servant, to do what we cannot do ourselves. And he's even described this way. Mark ten forty five says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus does all the work for us. All of it. And, you know, here's the thing. If, you know, I don't know about you again, but when I picture servants, I picture people, a lot of times they get service and you're going, well, they don't really, I, you know, I'm looking at that character in the movie and in the TV show. They don't really deserve the kind of service that they are getting the loyalty, the kindness, the hard work. Jesus is that kind of ser- a servant for us, doing all the work for us. We who deserve it, the least. He is a servant; is the means. By which God has fulfilled his promises. Just as Joshua was the means by which God fulfilled his promises to the people of Israel. Yes, he is a conquering king. But he is also the humble servant who gave his life as a ransom for many. He served God by upholding his righteousness throughout his life and then on the cross. And then he served us by paying the penalty of our sin. And He still is serving us now. We still enjoy the service of Christ through His Spirit. We still enjoy the service of Christ by Him interceding for us. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. That the King of the universe was sent to serve us. As undeserving as we are. Yes, we are called to serve But sometimes we need to kind of forget about that for a moment. We need to kind of put that in the background for a moment and remember the gift that we have been given and being given a conquering king, a one who conquers our sin and serves us in the process. Philippians 2, in that great Christological passage, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he's a servant for our good and his glory. The second thing I want to say about Joshua is that not just was he a servant, because a lot of times we have people who are willing to do things. Like, I might be willing to run the soundboard back here and serve in that way, but I am incapable of doing so. Sometimes ability is an issue. Sometimes it's just you will get somebody who says they want to do something, but then they're not really obedient to do it. And what is great about Joshua is God gave to Israel The obedience of a man like Joshua. And in the same way, he has given us the obedience of Jesus. Now, usually in a eulogy, you do not talk um, poorly about other people. It's just not the thing you do, right? Well, but all the way up until Joshua, you see Adam sinning. You see Noah. You see Abraham. You see all these people. The the Old Testament is full of of these people who God has used who were constantly making mistakes and being rec- reprimanded for them, right? I read this about Joshua. I'd never noticed before. There's nothing like that with his life. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect, but it does point us to the fact that God gave to Israel a man who was obedient to the call that he had. Not perfect. But isn't it amazing? that when the people needed it, after all these years of wandering, God gave them someone who was obedient. Now, I don't know about you, but think about what it must have been like to be one of those people wandering around for all these years. Most of those people didn't even start it. And they're probably scared and they're afraid. They've heard rumors of this promised land. They've heard rumors of rest. They've heard rumors of this God who they feel like has probably abandoned them. And they're wondering, does God love us? And what does God give them? Gives them someone. Yes, thank, thank you God that you've given us someone. And the good news is they gave someone who was obedient. But even, as, even just as God had given Israel the obedience of Joshua, even more so have we been given the obedience of Jesus. Think about Philippians 2 again. How Jesus... Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus' obedience is of eternal weight for all of us. Apart from his obedience, there is no hope. The cross is of no effect. Him keeping the law. All the things, not omitting any of the law, not committing any sin, and then being obedient to the point of death. Apart from that, because that is the ground, or our faith, our trust in His obedience on our behalf, is the ground by which we are counted as righteous, justified. I used to be a youth pastor, and... Um, I made sure that that one of the struggles of youth ministry was always, you know, obedience issues with teenagers, right? I mean, it's always an issue. And I was convinced from the very beginning, because I knew myself, I knew my own heart enough, that the way to transform and to see transformed lives was to get them to focus and to love and to believe in and trust in the obedience of Jesus on their behalf. So much so that I still I get Facebook messages and emails all the time where they're reminding me of what I told them. that I said, when you stand in the obedience of Jesus before God, you stand just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I'd done all that was required of me in the law because you stand in the obedience of Jesus. I mean, I, I get these Facebook messages all the time, remember, reminding me of that. And the reason why is because it's the anchor in the midst of our own wanderings. As the as they're now in college and getting married. One of them got married this weekend. She was in a wedding dress, so about to get married. And um the anchor in the midst of all their wanderings and all the difficulties and all the frustrations and all the fears and all the wonderings if God has abandoned them and if He still loves them, but either because of circumstances beyond their control have happened to them or because of their or circumstances they brought on in, brought in themselves because of their sin. That anchor of the obedience of Jesus on their behalf. When our hearts... Wonder and worry if God loves us, we ought not to look first at our, at our obedience. Yes, maybe we should look at that. But first, we look at Christ's obedience on our behalf and remember we are loved because it has been credited to our account. Last and third. Just as God, through Joshua, gave the people rest from their wanderings, Jesus gave us rest from our works. I mean, the great drama of Joshua is Joshua the obedient servant taking the people of God who had been wandering for 40 years. Can you imagine the wandering? What they must have... I mean, I picture them extremely dusty because it's a wilderness, right? I picture them dusty and tired and frustrated And just exhaust, just physical, emotional, and probably spiritual exhaustion. They probably dreamed of this promised land of rest. After all the rumors of the good that is possible. After wondering, has God abandoned us? Has God abandoned me? After what had to feel like a collective Spiritual darkness hanging over them. Joshua leads them into rest. Can you imagine? And the answer is probably most of us can. Most of us can imagine what that feels like. Even if it's not a physical wandering, there is a spiritual or a emotional, psychological even I guess you could say. A wandering that goes on. Most of us in this room, including myself, again, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Most of us in this room are familiar with that experience of wandering. We have very comfortable lives that mask it pretty well. But most of us have seasons, weeks, years, Perhaps our whole lives have felt like a wandering. At some point in time, you stop and you look at your circumstances and you wonder, has God abandoned me? Is this why the night seems so dark right now? You've dreamed of rest. You've heard the rumors of it. You see other people around you and they look like they've got it, you know, they, they, they look like they're experiencing light to you. It just feels like darkness. And, uh, it's no stretch to link our wanderings and our longings for rest to the story of Joshua Hebrews four, eight and 10 for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, there's a lot in that passage to talk about. But there's two things that we can see that are very helpful for us today as we finish up the book of Joshua. David spoke of a coming rest. David is after Joshua. And the idea is that there is a Bigger rest. There is another rest that is coming that is bigger than the rest of the promised land. And it is a resting of all of our works. Now, this for us who have these feelings of wandering, these kind of dark nights of the soul, this is good news for us, right? Because what do we do when we get in those situations? We want to fix it. We want to work. We want to do something. We want to we pledge our lives to God anew. We do something to try to fix it and get out of it. In an amazing statement, we are told that we that we have been given a rest that helps us rest from all of our works. We can rest because Jesus has been the obedient servant. We could not be. And he died the death we deserved. He says in the book of Matthew, he says, Come to me, all who labor, all who work, all who want to work and feel the weight of work and trying to fix it yourself and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can rest because we know that there is a new heaven and a new earth and the promise of that hope is anchored with the cross. We can rest because even though in the midst of our wanderings, whether it's because we've lost a job or we've lost a loved one or or we have a job that feels like it's just sucking the very soul out of us or we have a sick loved one who is on, we're on the verge of losing, or we have a wayward child, or a struggling marriage. In the midst of that, we can rest because we know we have been given the rest of the obedient work of our servant Jesus on our behalf. We can rest because we know that God is sovereign, and even though His providence is a mystery. You know He is in control. And we can rest because we know God loves these people that we may lose or have lose, lost, that He loves them more than we do. We can rest because we know that His resurrection is the promise of a rest that will not end. You know when I long for... You know, theologians have this... this uh, Way of expressing this rest and uh, what the promise of rest that we have in Christ, and and one of the the ways they describe it is the already not yet, and and the fact that we we can experience that rest now, and the knowledge that now we have we can rest from our works. That even in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our wanderings, in the midst of those dark nights, we can actually uh, rest. In those moments, even if it's just for a time. But it's not yet, because one day we will rest from all of our works. There will be no need, there will be no wanderings. We will enjoy the fulfillment, the full fulfillment, if you will, of that promised rest. Here's when I long for that rest the most I long for it in the midst of possibly a time of grief. That's true. Uh, when i'm weary from something but i'm also I also long for that eternal rest when i can taste it when i when i get a little bit of a of a of a taste of it in the midst of something on the the day before my father passed away um we were i was in the hotel r- room with him by myself and um he was, he was there in the bed. He was, he was heavily uh, drugged with morphine to ease the pain so that he could rest. And there I am. E- everybody who had to go in the room had to put on uh, a mask. Uh, we had to put on a, a, a gown. We had to put on gloves. And, um, and then we had to take them off because he had MRSA, a very uh, hard-to-treat uh, staph infection. And um, I'm sitting there. I'm talking to him. And, uh, and, and and we start talking about baseball, which we talked about a lot. And a lot of times it revolved around my fantasy baseball team. And um, and he stopped and um, he asked me, he goes, do you think there will be baseball in heaven? He'd been saying, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And then he asked, do you think there will be baseball in heaven? I was like, yes, and no soccer. It will be great. <laughs> um, just kidding, soccer fans. Just kidding, just kidding my kids played soccer, I'd go to a couple games probably. And we both laughed. I mean, you know, it was good to hear him laugh at that because um, neither one of us understands soccer. We're like, why can't you use your hands? And then he told me about playing ball as a kid. And he, and he would just talk about how he, how he would play all day. And, and he told me about the, the legendary, which we have heard the story so many times, was, the legendary questionable no-hitter he threw as a kid and that where he was pitching and he pitched the whole game and nobody got a hit and but it was questionable at the end and, and he told me the story like i'd never heard it you know we've heard it so many times and um and and and, 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 and he goes and he, and he goes i'm so glad to know that you think they'll be you know like i'm the theologian teaching my dad you know uh, the 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 retired pastor about heaven and baseball being there and i said dad here's the great thing about it when you get there and you're playing the grass is going to be so green the dirt's going to be so soft. The foul lines are going to be plumb. And there will be no arguing. And you'll be able to play all day and run and jump. And there will be no... Ti- you won't get tired. Because you'll be resting. The very playing will be that. And, it could, and the reason why we talked about that is because he was saying that he would play until he was just physically exhausted as a kid. And um, I knew what he was doing. At this moment. I mean, I knew what was going on. I knew he's thinking, "This is what I'm looking forward to. I want to be like, I want my, my dad, who was blind, could hardly walk. He was looking forward to being able to move like a kid again. I knew he was ready to go on ahead of us, and he knew that the rest, that the rest he was getting at the hospital, that all the drugs were helping him get, was nothing compared to the final rest he would have in the work. Of Jesus on his behalf. And he kept talking about this the rest, what he's going to get, resting from all this, being done with it. You see, all the rest we experience here is just a foretaste of what is coming. Because really, the rest now is mixed with all the wandering, right? When I finished telling him about what it would be like to play ball, just like a kid again, the conversation kind of ended for a moment. And he got quiet. And he finished with, That'll be good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the rest that we have in Jesus. We thank you for loving us so much that you would buy us that rest at the expense of the blood of your own Son. And so... We thank You for that. We thank You for the story of Joshua, which is kind of a reverse echo for us of all that You have done in Jesus, of all that You've given us in Him. Father, we thank You for Chris's faithfulness in walking us through this book so that we would see Your goodness to us through the the obedient servant of Joshua. And Father, I pray that we would walk away with a better seeing, a better understanding of the rest that we get because of the obedient servanthood of our King, Jesus. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.